You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. Hey there, I want to invite you back towards the seat as we will be wrapping up our series, Jesus, Your Name, today. Next week, we're diving into our Easter series. During uh, the anniversaries, as I was listening to John and Davina talk, I've had the, the privilege of being able to have conversations with John and hear about how he grew up in, in New York and how the, the tempo of growing up in a big city in the, on the East Coast can kind of get in your soul, where it's like this is the speed that you go at to kind of keep up with what's going on. It's just Reno's different than that. Amen. <laughs> and that's good. And uh, the environment you grow up in can have a, have a, a strong effect on your norm. And it can become very challenging when Jesus invites you to, to embrace his norm. Because if you, like me, are a firstborn with a tendency towards perfectionism and workaholism and don't ever want to take the time to rest, and then Jesus says, come away, all of you who are weary and, and burdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A lot of the, the learning to walk with Jesus is learning to walk at his pace. I'm imagining... I don't know this, but I'm imagining that one of the things that when you had to travel from place to place by when you're walking, you didn't necessarily walk as fast as people who are walking today. You walked kind of with the idea of I'm going to get there, but I'm also not trying to rush because it's not like getting there any quicker is going to get you a better seat. You know, it's, you understand what I'm saying? It's the pace of life today is such that it's possible for us to get caught out ahead of ourselves and to leave our thinking processes and our heart processes behind and to go on autopilot. And Jesus invites us to embrace him and embrace his rest. You know, what John expressed is not unique. That's something that many, many, many of us, how many of you would say you also are one of those people who may struggle when it comes to slowing down? Okay, yeah, look around. There's many of us. And Jesus invites us to learn to walk at his pace. And that's part of discipleship. And so uh, one of the things where we get to learn that too is in the context of a church community. So that's awesome. As we go through this series, this last installment, if you want to call it that, we're, we're looking at some of the Old Testament scriptures that identify God for who he is and the, the place of safety, the place of refuge, the place who, one who is our fortress. And uh, I was talking to my parents yesterday regarding the message, and I, there are weeks that I come in feeling very confident. It's like, man, I'm so stoked about this, and I I'm so, can't wait to talk. This is one of those messages where I feel very inadequate, and it's like, man, I, Jesus, I ask you to bring this together and to apply it where we need it, because just because I feel confident about it doesn't mean it's going to be awesome, but I ask that the Holy Spirit would apply to each of our hearts what the core of this is, and that is that the God that we serve invites us to turn to him in every situation as our rock and as our fortress and as our safe place. Not just in our, we can give mental assent to believe that, but that in every situation when we're confronted with it, we will turn to him. A couple of scriptures I want to kick off with, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, and then Psalm 5, 11, and 12. It says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, The righteous man runs into it and is safe. In Psalms, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. 
This is significant. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, you cover him with favor as with a shield. These, I could have picked probably 30 to 40 other scriptures from Psalms and Proverbs. Because it's, this is kind of a continuation, I would say, or a riff on the, on the message my parents gave on the 12th. Um, and when I was uh, on, would have been Saturday the 18th, I was doing my daily devotions. And as part of my day, daily devotions, I read uh, whatever date that happens to be, so the 18th in Psalms and Proverbs, and then I add 30 to each of the Psalms. So I read the 18, 48, 78, 108, and 138. And in doing that, I get to read all of the Psalms in one month. But as I'm reading through Psalm 18, I get to Proverbs 18, the thing that jumped out at me is these words, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The name of the Lord is our refuge. The name of the Lord is our protection. He's our cover. He's our safe place. He's our shield. In the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the people did not want to say or take the Lord's name in vain. So they would often just refer to him as the name or in, in Hebrews, Hashem. It represents all of who God is. And we being people who recognize and call upon Jesus as our savior, we see Jesus is the incarnation. He's, he's God made flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he's been given the name above every names. And as I'm reading through this stuff, thinking about the name of the Lord as a strong tower, the righteous run into it and they're safe. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? What does it look like to call upon the name of the Lord? I know what it sounds like when someone calls upon my name. I know there's been times where I hear one of my grandkids, they, my uh, Mila and Brody, the five-year-old and the three-year-old have a room that, that butts up against uh, Joni's in my bedroom. And every night before bed, we get this, they'll knock on the wall and that's the signal for us to come in. And I don't know if you know this, but children are often impatient. And when we're not coming fast enough, the, the knocking gets more intense. And pretty soon it's, Papa! And there, there's yelling happening. And Joni and I are sitting on our couch usually when this happens. And I said, do you want to go knock or do you want me to go knock? She says, well, they're calling your name. So I know what it sounds like when my name is called. Even if it just means they're calling me because they want to know where grandma is. Because that's usually what they're asking me. <laughs> if I go in there, into the room, hi, Poppy, where's grandma? Well, when they're calling upon my, I, 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 there's an there's a urgency that can be attached to it. But what does it sound like or what does it represent when we're calling upon the name of the Lord? And what are the situations in which we're calling upon the name of the Lord? And I would point you to the wisdom books of the Bible, Ecclesiastes and Psalms and Proverbs, uh, Song of Solomon, Job. Each of these gives uh, example after example of the writer calling upon the name of the Lord, inviting him into the situation, and even in, at times saying, where are you, God? Psalm 13, you know, Psalm 22, you know, there's out of the 150 Psalms, at least 50 of them are Psalms of lament and mourning and crying out to God and frustration. You know, you know how long must I wait? It seems like you're absent, but I know that you're good. It's, there's something that is revealed in the relationship between David and the other psalm writers and God that really illustrates what it is like to call upon the name of the Lord. Because it's not just in a point of great desperation, it's in every area of life. Since Jesus is our Savior and our Lord, we're also inviting him into things when we think we've got it under control. I referenced this a little bit during worship. 
even in the times when we're feeling confident, even in the times where we're feeling like we got this, God's inviting us to allow him to be Lord of our life and to run to him and run to his name. And this is very significant because when we are putting our trust and our hope in ourselves and in our own understanding, we can miss the things that God has for us, but we can also head into, head into areas where we are making decisions and prioritizing things according to the pattern of this world. The things of God are often counterintuitive to the, to the ways that the world works. You know, Debbie talked about it with tithes and offerings. The very idea of taking the first fruits of money we receive and offering that to God is counterintuitive to the you better save, you better put your stuff away, and or you better start acquiring stuff. It's counterintuitive to bless those who persecute you, to pray for those who spitefully use you. The things of God are counterintuitive to the ways of people. And therefore, with ourselves, we're always checking in with the Lord on is my thought, is my thinking, am I, are my ways lining up with your ways? When we are stressed, when we're taken by surprise, when we are uh, anxious, when those things happen where there's a, a sudden thing that, that, that kind of shocks us, we can be very easily kind of, well, I need to gather my composure. I, I, you know, you don't know where you're, you're surprised or you're shaken when that thing happens. And we have to reorient ourselves to be able to say, okay, I'm not going to be functioning in that surprise and that fear and that worry anymore. I'm going to come back here and I'm going to bring it to Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. Because usually the enemy wants to throw curveballs at us, but even our, you know, the, our life experiences throw these curveballs at us. Like somehow we think if we're really living our life for Jesus, everything's just going to be great. We won't have difficult experiences. Anybody ever had that thought in your head? You know, all of a sudden a sickness pops up or all of a sudden there's a disappointment that pops up or all of a sudden the job you're wanting doesn't happen. So well, I'm, I'm doing everything I know to do, God. I'm doing my part. How come this stuff isn't happening? And we run the risk of hedging our bets and starting to look elsewhere to just cover our bases. And God invites us, call upon my name as your safe tower. Abraham had the encounter with God. God makes a covenant with him, so I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you more descendants than even sand on the seashore. I'm going to cause you to be blessed, and everybody who you bless is going to be blessed. And all descendants of the earth are going to be blessed through you. It's going to be glorious. Your wife Sarah is going to have a miracle baby, and they sat in that glory for 15 years until they couldn't take it anymore. we got to figure this out. we got to do something because God said we're... Sarah ain't getting any younger. Abraham's not getting any younger. We got to come up with something. Sarah says, according to the custom of the days, how about you take my handmaid, Hagar, and you give me a child through her. And according to the custom of the days, Abraham did this. They took it into their own hands. They did what the custom of the day was. If you can't have an heir through your wife, you have an heir through your wife's maid. It still counts as an heir for Abraham. God comes in and says, no, I said, look to me as your strong tower. I don't know what you're facing today, but I would imagine that whether it be work, whether it be family, whether it be uh, family of origin, whether it be the place that you live, whether it be something that you're wrestling with health-wise, there is a temptation to look outside of God as your strong tower to attempt to find an answer that's going to scratch the itch that you need and be immediate. God rarely responds immediately. I'm not saying he doesn't, but rarely. He often is working in the processes of life to help us learn 
to trust him. He's not going anywhere, but if we're looking for something immediate, it's in that shortcut that we see our flesh and the, our, the enemy of our soul stepping in to offer an alternative to looking to the Lord as a strong tower. Does that make sense? When we're in the rush, when we're in a hurry, when we got to have the answer now, King Saul entrusted with the kingship and told you and all your descendants will be king. But the first thing is you got to wait for seven days for Samuel to show up and for Samuel to make an offering to God, offering to him, because that's not your role. That's only the, the, the priest's role to do this. Samuel waited for seven days. They're going to go to war with the Philistines and his people are there. When are we going to do this? The Philistines are gathering. The, the people on, on Saul's side are starting to disappear, and some of them are even going over to the Philistine side. And Saul says, you know what? We've waited for seven days. Samuel's not here. You know, I've I got to take it into my own hands. And he goes and he makes the sacrifice, and he offers up this, this sacrifice in his own strength, doing what he was specifically told not to. And then Samuel shows immediately up and says, what did you do? Because of your disobedience, you just lost the kingship. God's taking it from you and giving it to another. Do you really think God wants your sacrifices more than he wants your obedience? Do you think God wants your Sunday morning church attendance and then the rest of the week you're offering up yourself to who knows what else? He wants our lives, not the things we can do for him or the things we can throw out there. So none of this is a point of condemnation. It's an invitation to let's not compromise looking to God as our refuge and our shelter and our safe place. It's a strong analogy, but God compares the relationship he has with his people to that of a husband and wife. And over and over with Israel, he says, you have played the harlot with me. You have sought out other lovers other than me. You have me when you need me, and then you go out and you're looking for others. This is harsh language. He's inviting Israel to a monogamous, faithful relationship. And he says, I'm faithful, and I'm inviting you to be faithful and to depend upon me. Israel, over and over and over again, had the challenge of looking at the nations around them and saying, I want to be like that. Instead of looking to God and letting God tell them who he made them to be. Does that make sense? Too easily, we settle for an imitation of ourselves by looking at others and say, I want to do that, I want to do that, instead of allowing God to birth in us the identity that only he can give to us, that will not look like everyone else. It will look like you. Psalm 116, 1 through 3. We're going to read several verses here. I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol or the grave laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. The psalmist writes, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and his pleas for mercy. God hears your voice when you pray. You may not get the response that you're hoping to get. It may seem like what you're getting is silence. I can remember listening to some people talking about, well, I've been praying, but it's like the heavens are brass. The heavens, it just goes up and it bounces down. David prays, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice. The promise is God hears your voice. He does not move on our time frame. It's much easier for us to start thinking about walking on God's time frame when we compare 
what it's like to try and do something with little kids. And one of the reasons is because little kids are impatient and they want it now. I hear people talk about, well, we're going to go to Disneyland with our family. It's like, did you tell your kids? Oh, no. Oh, no. It's a month away. You know what we'd be creating in our house if we said we're going to Disneyland? We'd be creating this, when are we going? Are we going now? I want to go now. When are we going? Why can't we go to Disneyland now? Can we go to Disneyland now? Over and over and over again. And we, we laugh at that. But the same thing that those children do, God says we do when he's spoken to us. He says, I hear you. And when we pray, he, re- he responds. But he responds in ways that we don't always want. For my granddaughter Mila's birthday, I did not buy her toys because there are enough toys. There are enough. Instead, I got her favorite donut, and I gave it to her, and I said, this is just from me to you. This is only for you to eat. And then I gave her good words. And when I was done, she gave me a hug, and she said, I would rather have had a toy. (laughs) And I laughed a little bit, but I also think, how many times have I done that to God? He's brought something to me that I need. He's spoken to me. His, there's scripture that says, your lot has fallen to me in pleasant places. And instead of looking to where he's provided, I look and say, I would rather have that. There's a reason in the Old Testament, especially in the New Testament too, some, all the references are about sheep. Because sheep take their cue from everybody around them. And it's only when the shepherd's calling them they finally kind of get it straight. There's another reason why Jesus talks about little kids a lot. He wants the little kids to come to him. He wants us to come to him. And instead of looking around for the things we don't have that we wish we had, we take what he gives to us and trust that it's what he wants to give us. Does that make sense? So, okay. God turns his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him my whole life. That's an orientation we can choose. When stuff is happening, I'm going to call upon God. He reveals it. Okay, here's what was going on. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I was suffering distress and anguish. Anybody has suffered distress and anguish over the last week in some way, shape, or form? If you haven't, I would bet that you're going to experience it soon. That's not a promise. I'm not going to like try and bring... Pastor Louie talked about that. No, it's a part of life, the anguish, the worry, anxiety. When that hit, verse 4 through 9, then, after I suffered distress and anguish, then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. That's the prayer. And then the praise. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living." Verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. 
Then I called upon the name of the Lord. In my time of anguish, in my time of trouble, I called on him. I asked him to deliver me. And God's response is he's gracious, he's righteous, he's merciful, he's preserving, he brings salvation. As a result of what God's doing, I love what the psalmist says here. Return my soul to your rest. After the anguish and the distress and the anxiety and the worry and the fear and all that's there, we call upon the Lord. We have the opportunity to continue to circle around. Jake has talked quite a bit about what happens when we get caught in this loop of continuing to revisit the emotion and revisit the fear and revisit the worry. And we get on this hamster wheel of death that goes around in circles and pretty soon it becomes all-encompassing. David here writes, okay, soul, it's now time for you to return to the rest that God gives to you. It's time to jump off the hamster wheel. You are no longer in the distress. You're no longer in the anguish. You're no longer in the worry. You're no longer in the anxiety. Therefore, jump off of this. Well, what happens if you still kind of feel it? It's interesting how the, psalm, how the psalmist over and over will say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Why is he saying that? It's not just because he thought, wouldn't it be a cool lyric? You know, write this down. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. You know, it's, it's guttural. It's visceral. It's right there. No, his soul may not have felt like blessing the Lord. Be at rest, my soul. What if your soul's not at rest? You don't feel like it. If you live according to your feelings, you will do a lot of dumb stuff. And you'll stay trapped in loops. And you'll focus so much on the circumstance, you forget to look at the deliverer. And even after he's brought deliverance, you can run back to, but wasn't that scary? But wasn't that worrying? Here I go again. There are alternate plans that the enemy of our soul has for us to steal from us, to kill us, and to destroy us. Serving Jesus does not equate that we will avoid sicknesses. It does not mean we will avoid tragedies. But serving Jesus means we will never be alone when we go through those things. And he will sustain us through them. We get to tell ourselves, I get to self-regulate my own heart, my own emotions, my own struggles. Return to your rest. By the way, look around and see where God has dealt bountifully with you. What does that mean? God has been good to you. And there's a prophetic declaration. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Not just when I get to see him after, in the sweet by and by, when the sweet chariot comes swinging me low, taking me up to him. I get to walk in the land of the living with him. And as my way of life, I will call upon him in the context of the community that I serve. One of the things that we often miss is that our relationship with God, knowing Jesus, is not just a personal relationship with God. We get to live that out within the context of community. Nobody wants to have to tell their testimony and to share all the areas that we've messed up. But isn't it wonderful to be able to share that and to see, but, but God, but Jesus and to give glory to him, because if he can save us when we're at our very worst, how much more can he work in us to bring salvation to other people who are in their very worst? He saves us as a testimony to others. It's a way of life. We get this. We call upon the name of the Lord. We give strong mental assent to it. But what happens when the pressure hits us? What happens when the bad news is ours? Fear, anxiety, and worry. Maybe it's a strong point of need. Maybe there's an illness, unexplained, lurking. Or even better, illness not is very well explained and diagnosis and percentages given. It's this. They call it the C word. 
It's a family issue. It's a marriage issue. It's a kid's issue. It's a singleness issue. It's a relationship issue. It's a financial issue. It's a plan issue. It's, this is not what, I didn't sign up for this. Have you ever said I didn't sign up for this? The pandemic was my favorite time to say that. On Sunday mornings, with me and six of my closest friends standing here, and I get to stand up in front of the camera, and I get to... It's like, I did not sign up for this. I don't want to think about, where's the camera? I don't want to think about, do we have to have a light? I want... I got into this to help people understand scripture and how to put it into practice. We say, I didn't sign up for this. Nobody signs up for the mess. When we get married, we don't say, you know what I'm really hoping for? The worse, the sickness, in need, in sadness, in financial worry. That's the part of marriage I'm just looking forward to the most. We think about it's going to be, you know, in joy and in blessing and in health. and What happens when the other part comes? Where do we turn? Where do we look? We default to our root programming often. Where did that come from? You ever find yourself responding in a way that reminds you of something you don't ever want to respond in? It's like, you know, my dad used to do that. My mom used to do that. Family of origin used to do that. Where did that come from? Because I said so. You ever said that to your kids? Unfortunately, yes. I can remember the first time I said that, and I just, there's 10-year-old Louie inside my head says, I'm so ashamed of you <laughs> because you said so. You have nothing better. You've had all these years to think of an answer, and you have nothing better than I told so. Shame, Louis. To call upon the name of the Lord in every time of need, even when it doesn't make sense. It's kind of funny. I asked if I could share this story. There's a couple things that have happened. When my brother Johnny was sick, we went through every treatment you could get. He was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, initially responded to the chemo, then it came back with a vengeance and showed up in other places in his body, so they're going to do a bone marrow transplant, and you know, that's going to work. He's, you know, 85% of the people who come through this, are, they're, they're completely healed and fine, cancer-free five years later. They don't talk about the 15%. His cancer came back. And there were people in our church in Carson City who that was like their impetus to bring out the alternative spiritual treatments. Have you thought about trying this? Have you thought about going here? Have you thought of, I know this person, you know, it's, it's unconventional, but they're very spiritual. If it's not connected to Jesus and it's spiritual, it's not good. There's no if and or. Well, they have good intentions, yeah. It doesn't work that way. And I can remember... Over and over again, people like frantic, you need to get him to this place. And if you do this, they will be healed. It's like we put our trust and our hope in Jesus through this whole time, trusting that God can heal and that we're going to work with the doctors. We're going to work with this plan. I don't know what would have happened. But I can tell you, when my brother died, he didn't die. Oh, man, I wish we'd have tried other stuff. He died knowing I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing walking with God in the land of living, and soon I'm going to see him face to face. There's another story. In the early, probably 2001, 2002, there was a family that attended our church, shall remain nameless, and the wife got very ill in her early 30s, and the doctors did not know what it was. 
and they sought prayer, and we had our elders pray for them, and they were going to every doctor they could think of, and she was getting progressively weaker and weaker, and they tried her for anemia, they tried her for, you know, all sorts of leukemia and other stuff. It's, it's, it's in the blood. And then as she's coming down towards the end, her, her life is waning. Um, they just kind of, I thought they went on hospice and didn't see, see him or hear from him, kind of ghost, like we'd call it ghosting. And it was about a year later, I saw him. They came to church one day and she was completely well. And I went up and said, you know, what happened? And she said, well, we went to this alternative healing person and they performed these ceremonies and, you know, everything was healed. And I'm looking at her and there's a darkness in her eyes. I said, what did they do? And she started naming these things. It's like what she's describing is the invocation and invitation of spirits to intervene in her life. And she was physically healed. What happened over the next several months and years was her life went down the toilet. She became very dissatisfied with her husband, very dissatisfied with her family, dissatisfied with her lot in life. She felt that God was God was calling her to a polyamorous relationship where she could be, you know, she has so much love and there's just, you know, she can't just have that in one relationship. She changed her name to a different name and she started wearing these bizarre stuff. And before long, church was, I mean, it's so restrictive. You start talking, Jesus is the only way. And there came a point where she's gone. She's still alive, divorced, living what she would call her best life. I don't know what to do about stuff like that. Did I want her to be healed? Yes. The status of her soul last time I saw her was much worse than it was when she was at her very most unhealthy. There is no hedging our bets, no matter what, when it comes to Jesus and us. Does that make sense? Is this hitting okay? I wrestled with even sharing that story, but I, I, I couldn't get it out of my head because it's like there's so much where I'll work with Jesus until, you know, that horse doesn't go where I want it to go, and then I'll start looking other places. There is no better place on earth than the road that leads to heaven. And there are times when we will bump up against stuff that we have no clue what we're bumping up against, and he invites us to endure and to stand firm and to be strong where we are. And he will get glory in our life, and there are times he will get glory in our death. I'm not wishing for death for anybody anytime soon, but it's in the book. There's persecution, there's suffering, there's a lot of unknowns. The one unknown we don't have, or that we, the one unknown we don't have is that what's, where's Jesus in this? He's right here with us. Last scripture, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone then, Jesus is speaking, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus says, embrace my words, put them into practice. Call upon me, I'll be your, I'll be your refuge, I'll be your, your strong tower. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I pray you would apply to our hearts what we need to hear today. I thank you that you are not limited by the words I speak, but Holy Spirit, you can, can make happen what needs to happen. 
You can speak to us in the areas we need to be spoken to. You can bring transformation in the areas we need to be transformed in. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us where we are calling on others, where we are looking other places, where we're hedging our bets, where we're being double-minded. I thank you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, that you do not reject us, you do not cast us away, but you invite us patiently to come to you and to come only to you as our Lord and as our Savior. May we build our life on your words. May we put your words into practice. May we look only to you. May we not be uh, embracing other gods or other idols in word or deed. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple thoughts. What are we doing with this? Uh, where in your life right now are you actively calling upon the name of the Lord? Is there anything as we've been talking where you realize I, I may be hedging my bets in a couple areas or I may be a little bit double-minded? What are the greatest areas of fear or worry or anxiety or panic or temptation where you feel like you've got to kind of work the angles? Usually there's a couple of them we have. It can be finances. It can be health. It can be in relationships. It can be in loneliness. It can, all sorts of fear. Wherever we're tempted, that's where we're going to start looking for other stuff. And God advises us to look to him. If you've never started a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to partner with you in doing that. There's a packet right in the back next to where it says connect and grow. It's called a yes packet. If you would like to start with Jesus today as your savior and as your Lord, I would invite you to grab one of those yes packets. And uh, also there's a prayer available right back here where Cole is by the uh, trellis, the white trellis. Uh, just say, you know, I want to start with Jesus today and have a couple people pray with you, pray for you. But as we're going to be uh, having family feast in just a minute. So I want to bless you and I want to pray for our food. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside, the number four, dot org.